Sir, in my heart there was a kind of fighting that would not let me sleep. Methought I lay worse than the mutines and the bilbos. Rashly, and praised be rashness for it, let us know our indiscretion sometimes serves us well when our deep plots do pall. And I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 9, In My Heart There Was a Kind of Fighting. With King Simon's life in the balance and the twins revealed to be illegitimate, Cyrus is made Prince Regent. Liam drowns his sorrows at a pub where he gets into a fight with the barman. A man in a hoodie who stood outside the palace for hours tracks down Eleanor to let her know that he killed her brother. Queen Helena makes moves to have herself placed into the line of succession ahead of Cyrus's daughters. And Ophelia attempts to find Liam, who is seeing visions of his father. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest, a crossover episode bonanza, <laughs> with my co-host on another show, uh, Mr. Brian Flynn. Hello. Hey, Brian. Thank you for coming on <laughs> Thank this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Care to tell our listeners the name of that show? I thought we'd get to it later. Um, <laughs> if we have time. Savor. We, we only have, have a running joke on the show. Yeah. We could have a running joke on the show about how I always forget to mention it, but uh, it is called The Revisionist. You don't want to spoil it. Spoiler alert. It's, it's a comedy alternate it history exists. podcast. Brian, before we assigned you this episode, had you ever seen an episode of The Royals before? I have not. Um... I only heard it as trashy and based on Hamlet. And that was all you need to know. So uh, just based on this episode, and we kind of threw you right in at the deep end of the pool because this is nearing the climax of the first season. What was your first impression of the show? It was, first of all, it was way better. Trashy and based on Hamlet? (laughs) Yeah, it was trashy and based on Hamlet. Although the first part, yes, the second part, not so much. But it was definitely way better looking than I anticipated being. I, I will give it that. And uh, it was yeah. it was very fun, honestly. I enjoyed myself way more than I thought I would. And yeah. I felt, I was almost embarrassed of how much I was enjoying myself. <laughs> well, don't feel embarrassed. You're talking to two people who have a podcast about the show. So I, I feel like I belong. I'm pretty sure you've seen an episode of the creator's previous show, One Tree Hill, which I actually didn't know until I uh, accidentally found that out this week. I've actually not yeah, seen Yeah, because of course you could Hill. have never sought the information out. You can only accidentally find information about the show. Of course, it's hidden in riddles. Great. Well, you know, I'm always happy when we give someone an episode of the show and it's not a chore for them to watch. It's not a chore for us to watch. We always find plenty of things to talk about. And um, on on that note, I say we just dive right into the plot because there's certainly a lot of plot to talk about. And uh, on Brian's note about the show being at least partially... Based on Hamlet, I think in the first scene, King Simon's ghost notes that something, something is, is definitely rotten. Yeah, yeah that's... As in, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. I may have gotten one of the more Hamlet-heavy episodes. This is where the Hamlet parallels really start to kick in on the show. It used to just be about, like, masquerade balls and doing drugs and in Monaco. 
and Monic <laughs> yes. <laughs> Driver initiated blowjobs, yeah, stuff like that. I uh, I watched this episode with my girlfriend, and before I showed it to her, that's the only thing I told her about the show was because Zach oh, told God. me about that scene, and she's like, "Okay, great." That we're scene has, it. is infamous. Yeah. Well, that character was Gemma, the blonde girl who has the meeting in confidence with the queen. She was the one who famously got behind the wheel, then decided to give a blowjob. Oh, I thought she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> you thought that character had died from blowjob-related yes, accidents? I thought, I thought that. I'm glad the show's not going to punish someone for giving someone a blowjob, I guess. No, <laughs> no. If anything, characters tend to benefit from the illicit <laughs> sex they have. Yeah. And, oh, we'll get to that. We will get to all of that in due time. Um, so Liam, I believe, is already at the pub where he will spend the bulk of the episode. Oh, the entire um, yes, episode. Turn- amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's a paternity test results, like, airing on the news, I believe. Uh, That's right. At the pub and the paternity test for them, Eleanor and Liam, to the king. Came back negative. Uh, so They're not his biological children. According no to this news report, but you know what we always say, trust no one. Yeah. How do it's, we know uh, that this wasn't in some way fixed? Mm-hmm. This is a, it's a dirty game on the Royals. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, that happens. Eleanor walks into her mother's like study slash lounge where she spends a lot of her time and starts yelling at her about, you know her sexual indiscretions and the fact that she and her brother aren't King Simon's blood children. And she starts ripping up these feather pillows right in Helena's face. And Helena says, that pillow was older than America. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. That's not a terrible it is, I don't know if there's like, anything even to say about that. I just needed to point it out. Oh, I think that line's used in advertisements for the show sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> As well it should be. That that scene is so fed. Like, most of the conversation is centered around pillows, first of all. And then uh, <laughs> the Helena is holding a pillow for, like, the last part of the scene, and then it explodes at the end when she rips it apart with her sheer brute strength. Yeah, and um, Helena uses ripping up a pillow as really inappropriate punctuation after delivering her daughter some news. Eleanor starts insinuating that Helena may have had something to do with Robert's death, which was a quote-unquote military accident that we still know next to nothing about. And Helena says that Robert killed himself. And then she rips a pillow up (laughs) in Eleanor's fucking face (laughs) because she's incredibly sensitive. Because, of course. First your brother killed yourself, but just to rub some salt in the wound, here's some fucking pillow in your face. Now you're covered yeah. in feathers. It's like that trap in Home Alone where he just puts feathers on Steve uh, on Joe Pesci. It doesn't do anything. It's just a little insulting. It's just irritating. Yeah, yeah. Part of part of Joe Pesci's character's backstory was that his brother just killed himself before he tried to rob exactly, Kevin McAllister's yeah. home. Kevin McAllister gave him the news. Yeah. If she really wanted to be annoying, she should have glitter bombed her. Yeah. Just like explode a bag of glitter in her face. That's way harder to get out of your hair. I mean, that's the tarring and feathering of the 21st century. I mean, you're never going to be 100% glitter-free after that, I'm just saying. <laughs> It'll be buried with you. They do. They can use glitter as part yeah. of forensic evidence now. It's like, it's like a <laughs> bullet. It stays with you for life. Yes. 
yeah, the next, I think the next thing is Cyrus is swearing in. It's a very <laughs> informal swearing in because basically oh. Cyrus is arguing with Ted about whether or not the twins who are now, you know, quote unquote bastards should have a security detail at all. And he basically forbids them to be given bodyguards as we find out later because Marcus isn't with Liam. Um, and then Ted won't refer to Cyrus as your majesty. So basically just to rub it in Ted's face, Cyrus has the archbishop, the guy who's there for the ceremony, <laughs> go ahead and like do the uber, uber, uber abridged version first. And he just like smooches the Bible and he's like, now I'm your prince regent and you have to refer to me as your majesty. So he basically just does it just for Ted and like just to be a dick, which yeah. is and classic Cyrus M.O. The guy who plays the archbishop is the least convincing actor, I think, in the entire episode because it's just – they look like the guy who works at the costume shop. And they're just like, put this pope hat on and hold this book and don't say anything. <laughs> they got to communicate a lot of information fast. <laughs> he, yeah, he looks like a weekend at Bernie's body, like <laughs> puppeteers somewhere. He's so dead on his feet. I think as he's leaving, Cyrus says something to the effect of get out, holy man, or something. Just to kind of... Cyrus is a dick to literally he's on a everyone. Tear. Yeah, he looks great in this episode. So many different oh, velvet as jackets. As always. And he oh, gets slammed later. Man. Gets he's slammed a... later for his dress choices. And it's like... Mm, I don't By think Ted. So. It's like, yeah, what does Ted, on, Ted know about fashion? Come you have on, two Ted. ties, Ted. Come on. <laughs> Everybody hates Ted in this episode, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so Marcus is sent to take Ophelia to the airport, but she's like being like, I need to see Liam before I go. And he's like, you've called him like 20 times and he's blowing you off. Good luck with that. But she just won't leave until she can see him. But Marcus isn't allowed to be on his security detail and they don't even know where he is. So Marcus goes to get Ophelia's suitcases. And when he comes back, she's not there. She's oh, given yeah. him the slip. Surprise, yeah, surprise. Very stealthily, considering it's a room with an elevator. It's the only means of entry and exit. Marcus, this is your job. You're supposed to be able to prevent people we've, from doing that sort of thing. We've established that all the security team is really bad at their job. Marcus being Marcus, the best. But... Yeah, he's the only one who's borderline competent, but I'm yeah. starting to lose faith. Um, well, Oph- it is weird to me that, that Liam and Eleanor lose their bodyguards, but Ophelia, Liam's short-term girlfriend retains a bodyguard that seems some that seems like a bizarre choice i don't even think he's bodyguarding her i think it's just his job to drive her i think he's just like her cabbie in that moment oh okay i guess that makes sense i think his boss was just like drive my daughter to the airport it's not like guard her body although he would probably like to (laughs) is that innuendo that's an eleanor line from earlier in the season I'm doubting your ability to guard my body. (laughs) 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 Ah, that was a real thing that the show said. (laughs) The show says a lot of great... I can't believe it. Uh, I don't know if Cyrus gets any of his classically horrible lines in this episode, but uh, Cyrus usually delivers the best... Oh, yes, he The best Bon Mots. Well... An amazing scene comes up next because we cut to Liam at the pub where he was watching the news on TV (laughs) and he's super smashed and he's doing a shitty karaoke rendition of I Just Can't Wait to Be King from The Lion King. Yeah. 
And we have spent all season making Lion King comparisons because Hamlet has so many Lion King comparisons. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this was an absolute treat. It oh was, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and unlike Ophelia's dancing from a couple of episodes that was supposed to be good, this was obviously supposed to be bad, so I yes. could enjoy it a lot more. And uh, unlike a lot of the music choices on the show, this one was intentionally on the nose. So yeah. that's, a, yeah. that's a bonus as well. And at, that was the point when my girlfriend turned to me and was like, I want to watch more of this show. Yeah. Well, we just I mean, gave the you the get... whole first season. You're welcome. Yeah. No, we didn't. Um, shush. Uh, the show can get very, very silly. We actually, I mean, this is one of the more somber episodes, if you can believe it. So if that was the aspect of your show that your girlfriend was, of the show that your girlfriend was drawn to, I would say, follow that. Go with that. Um because yeah. there's more of that where if you go looking for it. <laughs> yes. Oh, perfect. Um, as he wraps his terrible performance, we get our second shot of Ghost Simon. I think Ghost Dad. Ghost Dad, yeah. Um, who is clapping. I think he's the only person applauding his performance. And he says something like, I love that song. So <laughs> Yes. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. You're... Just a really great moment. Um, also... Of note, whenever Liam sees Simon's ghost or imagines Simon's ghost, he's wearing his full formal dress, like his king regalia. Mm -hmm. Whereas when Eleanor imagines him, he's wearing like a very casual sweater and casual pants. So some sort of a a difference in perception there. Yeah. Purposeful, I'm sure. I love the costume designer for this show. He knows he can keep it casual with Eleanor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He doesn't need to put on any airs with her. They get each other. Well, they're both kind um, of seeing what they want to see. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading yeah, too much exactly. into it. Eleanor's looking for... And no, Ch- you're not. Eleanor's looking for a dad, and Liam is looking more for his role model. And um, to be fair, this is technically, I guess, a a pre-ghost dad? Because Simon's not technically dead at this yeah. point in the show. Uh, we should clarify, he's still on good. life support. So then there's a smash cut after that moment, um, and we see Helena talking to Cyrus. She's stressing out about how her children hate her. I mean, she hasn't been doing anything to fight them hating her. She's continued to be extremely mean and rude to both of them. Like when she told earlier her daughter that her brother killed herself and then tore open a pillow in her face. Yeah. <laughs> and not helping. She hasn't comforted them at all about uh, her husband stabbing. And she has this, these really shady lines to Cyrus about having Simon close by so that they can keep an eye on him. Yes. We definitely have the full Claudius and Gertrude thing going on yeah. here. Like we said, between the ghost of the king and the Claudius and Gertrude thing and all that, yeah, the Hamlet parallels really, really ratchet up in this particular episode although it's very all suspenseful it's a bit unclear to me having not seen the rest of the show maybe how active uh helena is compared to gertrude because if i remember more so more so okay much more so yeah much more so yeah yeah uh which is not to say that cyrus isn't active they're both very active antagonists and sometimes they're in tandem with each other and sometimes they're at odds with each other although i was gonna say i don't know what cyrus thought was in it for helena in terms of scheming with him because she's still the queen i guess but her position is so fragile because she's not married to him or anything 
And so in this episode, she starts to enact her plot to change the line of succession so that if something were to happen to Cyrus, she would actually be next in line. Like, that's a huge plot point of this episode. And I'm like, why didn't Cyrus see this coming? Honestly, what did he think that was so huge for Helena to get out of helping him? I would assume that their stated goal was to avoid the referendum to end the monarchy. Oh, I guess so. I guess that's true. Yeah. It's still, I'm like... Yeah. You should never have trusted her even as much as you did, however well, little that was. Neither of these people should ever be trusted by anyone, so. <laughs> no. But they can't, they really can't even trust each other. Oh. Oh, this is, is this the scene where Ted slams Cyrus for his sartorial choices? I believe it is. I think so. I think so. I think in front of Helena, they start to have a little bit of a tiff about the clothing and he. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but he definitely pops off about Cyrus's outfits. And I'm like, Ted, you wear like a charcoal colored suit every well, day. He's he's telling them about this guy who's been standing in front of the palace gates for hours on end, who is now a suspect in the stabbing. Uh, wearing a hoodie. Yeah, Long wearing hoodie a hoodie. Guy. And Cyrus says something snarky about the fact that he's wearing a hoodie. And Ted shoots back. If we arrested everyone who dressed poorly, the Prince Regent would also be in custody. Lies. And, yeah, no. Cyrus clearly dresses the best of at least any male character on this show by a country mile. Any male <laughs> character on TV. Yeah, no. He's the best. He's got, like, He always all of looks these... amazing. And his hair always looks amazing. Yes. I believe he was he... wearing a crushed velvet jacket earlier in the episode, so. Oh, yeah. All I, hear. I believe all these... he wears several velvet velvet jackets. Oh, purple, red, green. So colorful. A colorful yes. array. He wears cravats well. We've established that in an earlier episode. He's got what, that great that? butt chin, which is perfect for a cravat. Ted, you're going to have to take it back. There's a lot of reasons to insult this guy, and I just he picked the wrong one. It was like, but everyone was kind of shitting on Ted this episode, so I think he was honestly just feeling bullied and like uh-huh. needed to lash out somehow, because... Yeah. Everyone really, really is mad at him this episode. And whatever. I kind of feel like he is deserving it. Yeah. He failed in his job in a pretty major way. He always does. And he just doesn't get it. Whatever, Dad. You just don't get it. Um... But next up, we have Penelope and Maribel, who are wearing these outfits like they're extras in the musical Wicked in the Emerald <laughs> City. They're wearing these like elaborate corsets outside their clothes and hats with many feathers and many gems. Yeah. Uh, and they're complaining about Liam and Eleanor being, quote unquote, halfies. They have happy yes. blood. <laughs> this is not the last time that people will refer to Liam and Eleanor as half-breeds in this episode. And I could not stop thinking about Harry Potter and, like, blood right. purity and being like, the muggle boys! Yeah, no, Especially because Cyrus is so Slytherin. No, this I think that's probably... fair. That's the first thing I thought of, too, was mudbloods. This whole series is probably slightly less realistic than the entirety of Harry Potter, though. So let's let's keep that in mind. Yeah. I'm now caught up on season two, and I'm almost, I think the season is almost over. But if they just segued into the show existing in the Harry Potter universe, (laughs) I think they could make it work. Like, I would be down with that That 100%. That would totally be fine. Um, I'm surprised Penelope and Maribel are in this episode. It's been a long time, I feel like, since we've seen them in one, maybe since the Monaco episode. Yeah, it's been a while. I think that they're basically here to 
move the plot along by accidentally letting information slip and in turn kind of starting Cyrus versus Helena instead of Cyrus and Helena working together. And because they're going to be the characters who bring the anti-monarchist into the fold of characters, Roger Moorefield. And in this scene, they're just opening each one of uh, Cyrus's little snifters of booze and (laughs) spitting in each one. (laughs) I didn't even notice that bit of business until the second time I watched it, and then I was so happy. There's a little payoff to that later where Cyrus drinks some and makes a a face. (laughs) Oh, he must have a very refined palate. Apparently, you can smell like a little bit of spit in his brandy. Either that or their mouths just taste that bad. I I would believe both. Everything we've heard about these people is that they are garbage humans. They have the hygiene of Shrek. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They realize that they're next in line for the throne, which is actually kind of important because it's a point that Helena is going to bring up later in order to change the order of succession because no one would want to see Penelope and or Maribel on the throne. They're special, very, very, very simple to the degree that uh, even in even later on, when they're technically like the king's daughters, I don't think we ever see them with bodyguards, and I don't think they ever get a room <laughs> in the palace itself. <laughs> well, Cyrus still, hates them. He hates them, but yeah, they hate Cyrus and he hates them. Yeah. But you think at least... So Ophelia is walking around various places in the palace looking for Liam, and she bumps into Gemma, who says she's there for an audience with the queen. And Ophelia is like, if you see Liam, will you tell him that, like, I'm very concerned for him and I'm looking for him? And Gemma is very blunt, as is her way, and she's like, no, I'm not going to tell him that because I don't owe you anything when you were trying to get with him and you knew that I liked him. You weren't thinking about my feelings. So, no. And I was like, honestly, Gemma's perfectly within her rights to say that, I think. You said it in about five seconds and they said it in about, like, 18 years, I feel like. That's true. And there were a lot of meaningful pauses where they made their eyes really wide and had their mouths kind of open and stared (laughs) at each other. I think in in return, Ophelia kind of calls into question whether Gemma actually has any real affection for Liam or if she was just uh, trying to socially advance, trying to social climb. That's sort of the question on everyone's minds. Yeah. And to be fair, I think Helena asks her the same thing. Yeah, yeah. She does. yeah. Except Helena's all about that social climbing. Yeah. That's exactly how Helena met and married her husband. So she has no, like, she wouldn't even mind if a woman just married her son for the title, as long as she's the sort of woman that she wants to have in her family, which for some reason she hates Ophelia, the blandly nice girl, and loves Gemma, this wild card <laughs> who's always getting people. Gemma started an international incident by, like, creating this grift versus this oil tycoon son. Yeah. And she also crashed a car into a phone booth while trying to give someone road <laughs> So for well, some I thought it was driving. I thought that would the, be the international the incident. <laughs> no. They covered Shockingly, that one up. that wasn't it. They covered that one up really well by okay, so they punching like... Liam out and dragging his unconscious bar- body out of the car. Okay, so they weren't That's driving like down the true. Autobahn and crashing the Chancellor of Germany or something. No, no she drove like through box. a park. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they ran into a traditional red British phone booth. Fortunately, of course, because a tradition. One. It was the most British thing ever. Mm-hmm. Surely. 
anyway, so the girls kind of have their back and forth spat where they each try to prove that they're the one who cares about him. It's not their usual pithy banter. Yeah. But Ophelia's like, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about him. And Gemma's like, if that's your story, and walks away, which was kind of <laughs> my reaction, too. Yeah. She doesn't give one of her classic passive-aggressive compliments, which are always a treat oh, yeah. in this particular episode. But Nice earrings. Thanks. That was an exchange they had. That's in a the reference band. to it earlier. You're gonna have to catch up That's on the back. That's my favorite one. Here, Brian. Yeah, Brian, you really gotta start digging into the series. It's true. Now that we've tossed you in at the deep end. Uh-huh. <laughs> Too bad you you know all the spoilers now. Uh... Oh, I want to say Ophelia has some just really weirdly structured lines in this scene, including, "I'm worried that his world has just been destroyed and he's alone." Like, what a what interesting phrasing. Um, she, I mean, that's kind of classic that's, for Ophelia's yeah, that's, writing. That's Ophelia's style all the way. I just thought that one really, really stood out. So yeah. I wanted to point it out because it was like very jarring in the context of the scene. There's a point later on when Ophelia comes out from behind like a secret passage that looks like it's hidden yes. behind a portrait. Is this like... Has this come up before? Is this the first time we're seeing this? Definitely... All the characters know secret passages. Yeah. All the characters use secret passages without <laughs> exception. Yeah. You'll get your random shot of Cyrus just slinking down a hallway, looking around shiftily, and then sliding into a passage. That's pretty common. Yeah. Anytime there's like a random dialogue scene, like, where can we put the scene? In the garden? No. In one of the staterooms? Oh, we've already used that too many times this episode. In the passage? Why are they in the passage? I don't know. Just put the dialogue scene in the passage. God damn it. Do it. It's cheaper yeah. to like the passage. Just do it. Yeah. Also, there are certain parts in the passage that get Wi-Fi service, as we've been told. <laughs> yeah. It's probably because the passage is in a studio and they don't have to like go to a, loca- a shooting location, to be honest with there you. There are special MacGuffin hotspots where you can find them in the tunnel. Yeah. Which are, of course, named uh, after yeah. Lord MacGuffin, who built the castle, I believe. <laughs> yes, that was the portrait that Ophelia come out, came out from behind. But um, <laughs> we haven't gotten quite to that part yet. Eleanor goes to her father's bedside to talk about Robert's suicide, and she imagines this, that this is an issue that must have been weighing on her father before his death. And perhaps even one of the factors that caused him to put forth the referendum about abolishing the monarchy because he felt upset that Robert's life had become what it had become or that he wanted to kill himself. And her dad's ghost says it's not her fault. Later on in the episode, he will tell her that Robert didn't commit suicide. And it's like, Dad Ghost, why are you holding out on me this long? (laughs) That's vital information I could have used right away, sir. (laughs) Dad ghost. <laughs> I mean, ghost, he has dad, a to... dad ghost. Pre pre dad ghost. Well, pre ghost dad. <laughs> the ghost of King Simon. The ghost yeah. of King Simon. I could say King Simon, but it's more fun to say ghost dad. Yeah, so. yeah, it really is. Also, I believe the last scene with with uh, Ophelia and Helena, where they kind of discuss their plans a little bit is also the scene where helena asks rachel what she does in her spare time that's Uh, the next scene coming up oh okay my mistake 
Oh. Helena sends Marcus to find the hoodie guy. She sends him on a secret mission. She says, you're joining the cast of the new show, uh, Blind Spot. So you're not going to be around for shooting that much in season two. So I came up with a secret mission for you to go on. Uh, bring no other cast members with you. They don't have scheduling conflicts. This is a secret mission just for you. Um, and all of that is true. Because <laughs> I saw him on previews for that new show, Blind Spot, about the girl whose body is covered in tattoos. Yeah. Uh, then Rachel, Helena's secretary, who looks like Sue, uh, Selena Meyer's secretary on Veep, which is she kind of a funny kind of, bit of parallelism, right, yeah. Yeah. and has a sort of similar stoic attitude. Um, she comes in, and Helena's like, what do you do on your weekends, Rachel? And Rachel's like, I'm a dominatrix. And she uses that to make a very inspiring speech to Helena about Later. winning over the anti-monarchist Roger Moorefield. Somehow. Well, you write what you know, has, I guess. Everyone has secrets and everyone has desires is the thesis of her speech and also the entire show. Mm. Yes, pretty much, yeah. She might as well just ended the speech with, like, here's my card. But Helena tells her to get the anti-monarchist Roger Moorefield on the phone and in touch with her. Yeah. Who's a character we've seen in the past being very smarmy, looking yeah. like David Tennant playing Barty Crouch Jr. He's a little more weasel-faced than David Tennant, I'd say. Yeah, but still, there's a similarity there. Maybe yeah. it's the brows. I don't know. I always think of it whenever we see the, the anti-monarchist leader. This is where Ophelia appears out of a wall. <laughs> Marcus is walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden, Ophelia is just there behind a hole, behind a painting. And he's like, are you hiding from me? And she's like, I'm not hiding from you well. She doesn't say that, but it's obvious. And then and, he tells her how to find Liam. But she does not, actually, I believe. I think he is the only one who comes to Liam's, Liam's aid later in the episode. But she tries because she goes into her dad's security room and all of a sudden she's on the set of Mr. Robot. She's, like, <laughs> surrounded by all sorts of blueprints and maps and she's punching in coordinates, but they can't find his phone because he drowned it in a glass of beer. He did, yeah. <laughs> Quite conveniently. Well, his, his phone was blowing up with people telling him, I guess wanting to talk to him about the fact that his father isn't who he thought he was. <laughs> so he kind of understandably threw it in a glass of beer. It's just a bunch of his dickhead friends making Jon Snow jokes at him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they would, too. They're, they're, they're douchebags. Um, <laughs> and um, Ted has, I believe in the next scene, Ted has the assignment of trying to figure out what exactly Cyrus was up to the night luck. the king died. Yes, that's true. Uh, Cyrus uses James Holloway as his alibi and says, quote, shall I spell fellatio for you when Ted <laughs> is great. taking his notes? And he Ted's like, lines. can you believe my job? Oh, my God. Yes. It's all living. Ted, <laughs> yeah, he was, exactly. He was having sex with Ted, who is a married man, the night of the... He was having sex with Ted? No, uh, no, uh, you Mr. Holloway, Holloway, with Holloway. Ted, Ted forgot. Sex with Ted, Ted forgot. Ted, I was having sex oh, with no. you that night. Ted's right. being sexually blackmailed. No. No, he's being hypnotized. And he's being gaslighted into thinking he had sex with, with Cyrus. Cyrus gets well, around. It wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, it really wouldn't be if that, if that turned out. And Ted starts to lose his grip on reality pretty soon, so. Yeah. Oh, um, there is that. Cyrus just but, leaves a pair of velvet boxers in Ted's car just to fool him. Oh. 
<laughs> friction that would cause inside of your pants. Well, it started fire. It rubbing up against. <laughs> uh, but Cyrus is really going at it in this scene. Um, first, when describing his illicit affair, he uses the phrase, these things are always a little sticky, which I think <laughs> was probably very intentional in this part. The fellatio mm-hmm. line is a good one. And also, as Ted is leaving to go find Holloway and corroborate the story, he says, if you are looking for him, you might try his closet. Um, <laughs> these are lines from, like, behind the candelabra on HBO. <laughs> Uh, this is why Cyrus is maybe our favorite character, Brian. Yeah, I could <laughs> see that. He's endlessly fascinating. He's bisexual scar from The Lion King yeah. in a nutshell. <laughs> and he... It also helps that the guy who plays Cyrus does just the perfect amount of ham for this yes. show, I think. He's, oh, yeah. he's one of the better, one of the more fun people to watch in the entire show. If not for there actually being scenes where we see him in bed with men or kissing men and all the scenes that explicitly state that he has sex with men were removed, this performance could fit into like a code era movie Mm -hmm. where the character, the evil (laughs) character is like secretly supposed to be gay, but they can't say it. That is the exact style of acting that he uses in his scenes. Like the guy in North by Northwest. It's all about the undulations of his eyebrows and the way his hair is pomaded. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to move on from Cyrus. Uh, Boo. We we have to return to dull old Liam, who is getting progressively more drunk at the bar. And Uh, who decides to fight the world's biggest bartender. (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to his dad. So it looks like he's a crazy person because no one else can see. His ghost dad. No one else could see Ghost Dad, premature Ghost Dad. And Disney Channel original movie, Ghost Dad. Yeah. And the prequel, Premature Ghost Dad. <laughs> uh, so this huge bartender starts asking if he's okay. At which... How dare he? <laughs> at which point Liam says, calls him. This is the second time this insult has been used at a large person in this show, by the way. Gogamagog, and then tells the bartender to Google it, which, which I, Zach which is, and I are forbidden from doing. We have explicitly said no research done for this podcast. We it's have to canon find out. that we know nothing. Yeah, so I could not when when Eleanor said this to her huge lurch s bodyguard. I did not know what it meant. Um, We've I had s- fans reach out to us though on Facebook, and he told John told us that it was uh, some warring, eternally warring factions in, like, the Torah. Two nations eternally at war, or something like that. Uh, I don't think that's the reference they were going for. Or at least it's not what they explain later, because this show saved us from our own no-research rule, because that yes. guy comes back and tells us what Gogmagog is. <laughs> Which is... Uh, some kind of detestable giant that they threw off a cliff. I'm guessing it's some kind of British flo- folklore thing. It must be. I'm like, what is this from? Tell us more. But just like Bagsy, we had to learn to go with the flow. Yeah. I miss that. Um, Bagsy and- is apparently how they say dibs in England. Sometimes <laughs> characters will call Bagsy on things like uh, locations for a fashion show or human lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a joke. Uh. Um, <laughs> so the bartender is upset by this insult once he knows what it means. 
And the best they, I wanted, fire I, research. I wanted research. a shot of the bartender googling it and just seeing his face fall. You know it yeah. happened off screen. You like went really to the back. Feelings. Just, I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> they let him get all the way through that Lion King song because he did the whole thing. Yeah, and he was just asking him if he was doing okay. So yeah. Anyways, uh, Liam continues to be a dick to the bartender, and they get into a fist fight. And naturally, the bartender uh, comes out on top in that particular ordeal. <laughs> though Liam... Against little Lord Fauntleroy? No kidding. <laughs> uh, although he is impressed by the fact that Liam won't stay down. Despite the fact that he should. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, like, he's like, he gives so much respect for Liam and his perseverance at getting punched in the face over and over that he buys him around and asks him, uh, where he got that stamina, that uh, that rigor, and Liam attributes it to his father. And, and the bartender's like, like, "Maybe you would be a good king <laughs> if you, if your father has this fight in him, then he's definitely going to live." Is like to paraphrase what that's he says. Right, that's what he says. What the bartender doesn't realize is that Liam wasn't being brave. Liam was just being stupid. Right. <laughs> yes. There's a fine line between the two. I guess that's true. But he was just getting up because he didn't know any better and he's not used to people beating the shit out of him. Well, and also earlier in the scene, it's established that he can't pay for any of his drinks because he, he doesn't, doesn't even know have how. a wallet. Right. No. Yeah. And it's also been established earlier that Eleanor doesn't have keys. So they are just like <laughs> helpless baby lambs without their security yes. detail. They've essentially never had to do anything for themselves. They're essentially adult babies. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Not in a sexual way. This show would be great if they were actual adult sexual babies, but phrase that oh, wrong. But... <laughs> no. I would not See, be surprised if that him. happens to a character later. <laughs> oh god. Bite your like, tongue. Bite your tongue. Some member of parliament is definitely I mean, going to turn into a like a sexual adult some baby. You just see... stuff later on. You just see Ted Careful. at home wearing a giant adult diaper. Oh, God. Edit this out. This is <laughs> <Sorry>. terrible. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. No, uh, I'm just kidding. This isn't a family show. We say swear words all the time. And we have to talk about all the weird sexual consent oh, issues the show oh, brings up. Speaking of. Constantly. Are we due for another scene? Uh, at least the third or fourth, I think, in this show where Maribel and Penelope are auctioned off like livestock. <laughs> yeah, and they're always very enthusiastic about it, but they're called in to meet the anti-monarchists because Helena wants to um, imply that they're unfit to rule, which they 100% are. All she has to do is bring them into the room, and they start like offering themselves up to this anti-monarchist guy. And, of course, there's the classic line, like, She's talking about her vagina, which they're always, they always make their stupid innuendos and then very broadly point them out. I mean, it's pretty much standard Penelope and Maribel fare. There almost isn't very much to say about this. That scene. was kind of my favorite line, actually. <laughs> like, I'd like some more in my field. The field is her vagina. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. It's classic. That hit me where Penelope I live. And Maribel. The classic They're still wearing these Miss Havisham outfits that are really something else. Yeah, they have a very unique style. In an earlier episode, they were wearing like a weird cat suit and yeah. like a weird... And a, like a Spice Girls sequins yeah. dress. Mm -hmm. It was... Huh. Uh. They keep it real. 
They do Penelope and Maribel do Penelope and Maribel. At least they always (laughs) match each other, no matter how psychotic their fashion choices get. Yeah, they're they're their only friend. They're each other's only friends. I think. Do you do you think if they did inherit the throne, would they rule jointly, and what would that look like? Well, one of them says that they're slightly older. Yeah, Penelope's Mm. older. At first, I thought they were twins, and I was like, "There's a lot of twins in this family genetically because." Liam and Eleanor are twins, and then I thought Penelope and Maribel were twins too, but it turns out they're just sisters. There is a scene where they tell Simon Cyrus to his face that he will hopefully die soon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, he hates them too. They all yeah, no, three open. openly don't are, get along at all. Even more but so than the main family. They inadvertently reveal to him, because of their uncontrollable libidos and the fact that they're always talking about who they want to have sex with, they inadvertently reveal to them that Helena was meeting with Moorfield and that she introduced them. And he's able to kind of put the th- clues together because, like, everyone, including him, knows that his daughters are completely repugnant. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's, there's just no other way to put it. Um, so... Uh, back to our good old boy, Ted. Ophelia is saying that she might, well, she's going to miss her flight because she's trying to see Liam. And he is trying to encourage her to prioritize her own life and her own career and her own interests over this relationship. And she's like, I am putting myself first. It's worth everything, Dad. And I'm like, you've been going out with him for like four days. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. It's a real roller coaster of a relationship. And at classic Ted, he wants her to be away from the monarchy in any capacity because, <laughs> as we've stated, like, he believes, and I guess with good reason in this universe, that being around the monarchy is intensely dangerous. Yeah, you could get struck by a stray bullet at any moment. It also seems yes. to be incredibly irritating. Ted, <laughs> as a dad? Uh, no, being around the monarchy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you're constantly going to get insulted for... Pretty much everything about you. Um, Like, nothing is off limits. Is your mom dead? The royals will use that against you to bully you. I mean, you get to hang out with Eleanor, who's pretty cool, but she is also constantly drunk or high, so... And speaking of Eleanor, she tries to visit Simon at his hospital room, and the guards outside stop her and say it's family only, which Mm. is obviously a huge blow, because, I mean... Whether or not he's her biological father, he raised her as her her father for her entire life, for his entire life. And so um, Eleanor runs into Cyrus at the palace and tries to attack him. And he says very dryly, all the king's men as his bodyguards apprehend her. And he says, it's that half-breed blood in her. And he's just like fully Lucius Malfoy. (laughs) So I have this, I have this note. Like, he took them off the, the list, by the way, is what happened That's, with the king. Oh, uh, The visitor's list. But yeah. I, I have this note in my notes, and I think it might be from the scene, but I'm not totally sure. But I did write down in quotes, you can suck my dramatic dick? Yeah, that... <laughs> is that... I'm pretty sure that's Eleanor? Yeah, that was. <laughs> nice. I don't remember that specifically, but it fits into I the th- royal's tone think, and patter. I think Cyrus accuses her of being dramatic, and that is her... Uh, her response. <laughs> it's effective. I mean, I under the right circumstances, he would love that. So. <laughs> yeah, then we have the scene where Liam makes up with the bartender. Penelope and Maribel inadvertently let Cyrus know that Helena met with Moorfield. Correct. 
Um, and then we have a scene between Helena and Gemma where they sort of advise each other. Helena hasn't apologized to her children for the fact that they had this huge bombshell dropped about their paternity. But she goes ahead and apologized to Gemma because, oh, you might have been Liam's queen and now he's out of the line of succession. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Why? Is it just that she identifies with Gemma so much more than her own children? Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, I think she sees a lot of herself in Gemma. She really does have... I think of almost any character on the show, he, she might be the nicest consistently to Gemma. I'm sure that's true. And I think Liam doesn't have really any contact with anyone this whole episode, except for Ghost Dad and... Uh, and Gog Magog. And Marcus, but yeah. that's just like at the very end, and I think at they the just exchange exchange glances knowingly. I don't know if they mm-hmm. actually say anything. Well, Marcus does dole out some advice, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, yeah, so Gemma speaks kind of in hypotheticals to her and talks about how Helena should address her affair that resulted in the twins to the people because the people love hearing about love and they want a queen who's human and flawed. But that doesn't necessarily resonate with Helena because that goes against everything that she says in every episode about how the queen needs to appear perfect and flawless and strong. That's according to her why she applies lipstick after finding out that her son and husband have been killed slash attacked so i don't know like helena seemed like she was moved by Gemma's argument but i was like i don't know if i 100 percent buy that yeah i don't think she's i mean this is a woman who expressly forbade her family from showing emotion at her (laughs) son's funeral yeah so i feel like she's pretty set in her path god when you say like that it's some mommy dearest shit well, she's not great. <laughs> the palace does not have wire hangers, I can assure you of that. I'm sure it does not. Um, so then we have a very dramatic moment where Liam is collapsed on the sidewalk um, in the rain, and Simon's ghost in his full military regalia sits down next to him, and then Simon gets up to leave and says, this is where the plot thickens very cryptically, as Liam says, don't leave me, please, Dad, which I liked because it made me think of The Lion King, even though (laughs) that's the saddest thing ever when Mufasa's face vanishes from the clouds and and, uh, Simba's, like, running after him and calling after him. That's what it made me think of. One of my favorite lines in the entire episode happens in this scene when one of my favorite lines from the whole episode happens in this scene when drunk Liam is just like complaining to Ghost Dad and and he's just saying, it's not fair. Why don't people ever get what they deserve or something? And you realize he's talking about inheriting a title that is just based on a completely arbitrary system of monarchy. <laughs> It's yeah. like, There's yeah, that. why don't and people he, get what they what they deserve? They're called serfs. He also, but he also could have meant that why doesn't Cyrus get the comeuppance he deserves instead or of Helena, getting the yeah. crown? Yeah, or Helena. Uh, see, I, t- um, I took that more to mean like later, I want to be king of England. Well, well he he's was talked actually... to his sister about actually dissol- going yeah. through with their dad's wishes to dissolve the monarchy. So at this point, he's still on board with the possibility of a referendum mm-hmm. that would dissolve the monarchy, period. 
I kind of want a scene of him leafing through the karaoke book that the bar has <laughs> and coming across that song and being like, oh, yes. This is the one. See, BB King, Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, the show having a fondness for on the nose musical cues really paid off in really spades. Off. Yeah. Ghost Simon also gives one of his patented. Uh, Eleanor, you could be great if you would just unlock your potential speeches in this uh, episode. She gets those One of these speeches comes from some character, always a male character, every single episode. And they're, they're always the same thing and they don't change anything. So I've lost my patience with them. Mm. But here's something Simon says that I, I know it's meant just to advance the plot, but I took huge issue with it. Simon says about Robert's supposed suicide, knowing what you meant to Robert, knowing how much he loved you. Do you think he really would have chosen to leave you? You already know the answer. You just have to believe it. Okay, so is Simon telling us that if one of your family members commits suicide, they just didn't love you enough? And if you had loved them enough, they would still be alive? Because, or they wouldn't have committed suicide? Like, this is just a very, very incorrect view of what suicide is from the show. Again, I know it's just ghost simon's way of tipping her off that robert really was murdered and that her mother is lying but still i was like this isn't true and it's a little bit in poor taste yeah it's kind of it felt to me like it's the show's writers trying to buy like an emotional moment of connection between like the siblings and the father and they just use word choice that makes it sound horrible and a lot of the way a lot of this way particularly in relation to Eleanor, the way they try to gain sort of emotional traction with the audience is based on kind of horrible or incorrect backstory or understanding of how the world actually works. <laughs> I've been noticing this more with season two as well, and I'll try to keep it vague because I don't want to spoil anything, but the strategy for the writing on the show sometimes seems to be let's heap as much emotional abuse on the character of Eleanor as humanly possible, see how much suffering and misery and bad things happen to her she can take before she has another breakdown. Like, positive things so rarely happen to this character. And when they do, they're usually the setup for a huge fall to come. Well, I mean, this is on E!, which is a network that's, like, so known for reality shows. And Mm -hmm. that sort of, like, human drama, I'm going to say. That is based upon seeing that reaction. That's like the gold of reality shows. So it's kind of transferring that same model to a scripted, a scripted drama. More scripted. I think you should say a more scripted scripted form. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Especially because like Ophelia and Eleanor being the young women on a show where the target demographic is young women, they're kind of used as the audience stand in. So in some ways it makes sense that Eleanor seems to be the character who the most things happen to, mm-hmm. or whenever something happens, she has to have some sort of a, a relationship with the character so that it affects her in some way. Um, yeah, so her ghost dad tips her off that Robert's death was not a suicide. I never really thought that it was. Helena wasn't really seemed to able to offer any more information to go along with that. And everything we know about Robert and how perfect he was, no one ever mentioned him being depressed or suicidal in any way. Not that there are always signs before it happens because, you know, sometimes when tragedy strikes, there aren't signs beforehand but still it it just doesn't seem like it fits with what we know about the character i think maybe even the writers knew that which is why they left that as an option for such a short time 
Yeah. Like, that concept is introduced in this episode, and by the end, it, we're disabused of it already. Well, just moments later, um, Eleanor is in the elevator leaving the hospital, and the hoodie guy who was standing outside the palace on the security tapes, the one who Marcus has been sent to another television network to find, uh-huh. um, is in there in the elevator with her. And instead of trying to talk to her like a normal person, he hits the emergency button, then immediately shoves his hand over her mouth. Yeah. And tells her to be quiet and gives her, like, the instructions for where to meet up with him. And then he drops a real bombshell. That he murdered Robert. He knows all these secrets because he was the person who murdered her brother. Uh, Yes, he says, I know it wasn't a suicide. And she says, how? And he says, because I'm the one who killed him. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Which I would think would be a bad thing to say to somebody who you're having a clandestine (laughs) meeting with. Because I would say, oh, I'm going to have the police go to where he told me to go. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, and she always has, like, bodyguards around her, too. She could just be like, seize him! Yeah. But uh, it gives Eleanor and Jasper good reasons to wear their super spy outfits in the next episode. Oh, my God, that's super true. spy outfits. Although I kind of want a scene where she does do the seize him and then realizes her bodyguards have been taken from her. Mm. Oh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't go so well. There are always people around, though, because she was just by Simon's hospital room. I can't Anyway, believe... he, he gambled, but he's lucky Eleanor herself is a wild card because it paid yeah. off. And has he yes. just been riding the I... elevator this whole time waiting for her to come out? <laughs> just, like, up and down the hospital? He's mysterious. I couldn't Maybe. tell you. This guy's a pro. He knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> he stood at the palace gates for six hours. I'm sure he could stand in an elevator for, for a full day. His main skill is waiting different places. As um, far as we know so far. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of surprised. I don't think anybody's ever said seize him on this show. Uh, <laughs> Cyrus has never said seize him. I don't think that's true. I think he says it about a reporter in season two. Is okay, that-, that may be true. Isn't the last shot of this episode, am I conflating two things, or is the last shot of this episode actually in Simon's hospital room? Uh, the LED monitor flatlines? I don't remember. I thought it was the the last moment between Eleanor and uh, Hoodie Guy, and then we cut to the logo, but that could have been the case. The previously on ended with a shot of Simon in his bed. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the elevator guy dropping the bombshell. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking of something else. I think you were thinking of the end of the previously on, but... Must be. Well, there'll be more of Simon in the hospital and all that drama next week. All the more reason for people to tune in again. Uh, But that takes us to the end of the episode, so it's time for my personal favorite part of the show, our basically our only recurring segment, and that is where we get to talk about what our favorite moments of the show were. So, Brian, since you're our esteemed guest, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you first. What was your favorite one moment or image of the show this week? Well, considering if it's my first adventure with the Royals... Uh Oh, that's a really tough one, but I think, I think Cyrus, in the room with Ted, talking, revealing he had this love affair, <sighs> and then the love affair, right? The revealing he had a bunch of hot sex, um, <laughs> and then the whole the whole tag of "Do you want me to spell fellatio?" and just like that, because that really just hit the note of like everything I kind of expected the show to be. In terms of just trashy and very E, and everything I thought Cyrus could be when I saw his character. Uh, 
And we didn't note this for you, Brian, at the time, but that's that's a lie. He's actually forcing this guy Holloway to be his alibi. Okay. So, well, but they, they, have have, had sex, they have had sex, and Cyrus yeah. uh, last week said that he snorted cocaine off Holloway's <laughs> erect penis. So. Yeah, so that was great. <laughs> Why was that um, not on the previously on? <laughs> I don't know. It's burned into my brain. I guess they knew that we would never, ever, ever forget it. A couple episodes ago on the previously on, they included a clip of Maribel and Penelope inserting drugs into their rectum that had nothing to do with the episode. Yeah, nothing to do with the next episode. They weren't even in that been episode. It's like a comedic plot point. <laughs> it's true. They weren't in that episode. Was this separate from them having their separate yes. waxed? Yeah. Yeah, separate. Yes. Separate. How much butt stuff um, are we doing with these characters? A shocking amount. Oh my yeah. god! Uh, they're always talking about their butts and their vaginas and how various body parts smell or and, whatever. And the, handies I'm and not, blowies. Yeah. Oh shush! You know I hate blowies. That's my least favorite term in the whole world. That's so terrible. No one says that. Everyone says blowjobs. Okay. Well, in not England, not just in America and England. <laughs> okay. It's a worldwide phenomenon. They actually call it bangers and mash. <laughs> Darren can correct me on that. Uh, I want that to be true, even though I'm not sure that it is. But I'm Porker an American. In the mouth. What do I know? <laughs> <sighs> Mom, turn off the podcast. That's an Arrested Development quote. I okay, know, I know. Perfect. I'm just teasing. All right, let's turn it over to Zach. What was your favorite moment of this week? God, it's hard to beat that one with Cyrus. I got to admit, um, I do think. Liam drunkenly singing Just Can't Wait to Be King is one of the best moments that character has probably had so far. Um, you took mine. Oh, uh, so many. Uh, uh, I, I, I like uh, Elizabeth Thurley's That Pillow Was Older Than America is one of the best lines that character's had, I think. So I'll, I'll Definitely. Also, also give a shout out to that. That's one of the few, like, punchlines that Elizabeth Hurley has got to have. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Liam singing, too. I'm a huge Lion King fan. It was the first movie I ever saw in theaters, so that was such a treat. I love a good Lion King reference, and I thought that one was so well played. But another moment I really liked that I don't even know if we talked about was after Penelope and Maribel realized that they're next in line for the throne, they're like, I'm going to be queen, and then after you die, I'm going to be queen. And they're just like like having a moment where they're like kind of swooning and not really saying anything, but making like these funny, excited faces and like breathing really hard and sort of collapsing. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, even though the characters are repulsive, the actresses who play Penelope and Mirabel always really commit to the bit, so to speak, and give it their all. And they're, you know, they're really fun to watch. Yeah, I was, and it's fun that uh, the younger one is just openly talking about her sister dying to her. <laughs> yeah. I was delighted whatever they were on screen. Yeah, they're really fun, and it's welcome to have them back as comic relief yeah. since they, they have really been absent for such a long time. And they don't overutilize those characters too much to the show's credit. Because yes. I want them yeah, to get their own spin-off. If we had to see them off. every week, it would be excruciating. <laughs> because they're just so foul-mouthed in like a disgusting way, not yes. in an obscene way, necessarily. All right. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Brian. We really did yank you in on an extremely plot-heavy episode, and I'm so impressed. You did a great job uh, keeping up with all the various twists and turns, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And everyone should listen to The Revisionist, which is the show that Zach and Brian host. If you haven't already started listening to it, it's a really funny uh, alternate history podcast. 
Uh, they both make some terrible puns, which are my favorite kind of joke. Mm-hmm. So you should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. And the episodes, I got to say, are nice Nice, short, little episodes. Not like the rambling show that we have here at Stage of Fools. (laughs) Yeah, we keep it pretty tight over there at the Revisionists. Yeah, I like it. You mean business. You get in, you get out. Well, thanks for sticking with us, and thanks for listening. I'm Shannon Camp. I am Zach Powers. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.